0: Welcome to Crypto Talks, the podcast that features the early adopters of the blockchain and cryptocurrency world. It's me, Annie Alexander, and I will uncover the stories of the humans behind the crypto and introduce you to new and exciting blockchain projects. Are you ready for the journey down the rabbit hole? Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Crypto Talks podcast. So today I'm under big pressure because everyone who learned about who my guest is kept pinging me, sending me different questions, telling me what I should do and how should I handle it. So it's been a very hectic few days. Um, But nevertheless, I'm very, very excited to invite a special guest this time. Dima Buterin is on air. Hello, Dima. Welcome.
1: Hey guys, hi hey, Yani.
0: Well, I mean, I'm I'm very happy. First of all, that you agreed to to have this conversation. I call them conversations, not interviews, because I hate yeah. that kind of you know the, that role playing and just question and answer kind of dynamics. So, um, so thanks a lot for accepting the invite. Um, I'm very happy about that and. Um, For those who don't know who um, Dima is, um, basically, uh, apart from being serial and successful entrepreneur, apart from being the co-founder of the blog gigs, uh, he is uh, obviously also, we can't ignore that fact, uh, (laughs) father of... Vitalik Buterin, so um, very close to the space and very close to the guy who made so many big changes to the space. So yeah, Yeah. I mean, uh, very impressive. Uh, I will, I will try to make this interview not about Vitalik all the time, but I, I. (laughs) I can't promise you that we're not going to touch any of those subjects because it it feels like everyone was very, very curious about some of the facts around that. But Mm -hmm. I guess, but I guess um, it would be interesting to start from the very beginning. And I I was just, you know, sharing just before this interview uh, about the fact that we both were born in a country that no longer exists, and mm-hmm. uh, it feels like we're sharing more or less the same generation as well. So um, we were
1: actually even born in the same region, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. In we were Caucasus, even born. Yeah. yeah, because the 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 whole country was huge, and we were even born in 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 a very um, close region together. Uh, very emotional and hot tempered as well, I would say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so. I think that you know where people come from impacts a lot um, you know uh, about their personality, their upbringing, and kind of you know their behavior in and and mentality and everything else. Obviously, things change with the times, change things change with the big changes in life, but something really stays anyway. so if if you go back in a, you know to that region and and think back about um those times, what do you think was the biggest impact that still stayed with you from, uh, from your upbringing?
1: I guess uh, quite a few things, right? Uh, let me name a number of them. Uh, well, one of them is uh, my aversion to governments and their propaganda, right? Mm-hmm. Because growing up, it was everywhere. Like, I remember even in, uh, when I was in kindergarten, I was maybe five or six and I had no clue who this uh, Lenin guy was, but I knew that he's so important. He's some kind of a saint or whatever. And yeah. uh, I've always been full of silliness and jokes. And I remember that I made some kind of stupid joke about him. Then I felt so scared, like oh, I touched something, you know, you know, saint. And uh, and later on, yeah. growing up in school and afterwards, like oh, everybody's pretending to be all about you know this communist and socialist ideas and whatnot and in the meantime in private nobody cares and the whole system is uh is messed up right so distrust toward governments and you know, distrust toward propaganda and uh big disappointment in the centralized institutions right because when you think about this conceptually there You know, in the Soviet Union, there was this concept of central planning committee. So that was the committee that was supposed to plan for the whole country. You know, this is like how much grain we should grow, how many apples, how much steel we should produce. And, you know, they had this wonderful proclamations and plans and whatnot. And they were constantly failing. Right. And then, you know, (laughs) you go into a store and the store has, I don't know, a few dozen items. Right. That's kind of your selection. And, uh if you want to buy uh, you know a toothbrush uh, you might not be able to buy it this month maybe in a two month time or whatever right so toilet paper yeah. like that's uh, that's luxury you know what are newspapers for and stuff like that so <laughs> yeah. so that's kind of stuff um another aspect of this is uh egalitarian society you know even though the mm-hmm. society was very in general poor but it was uh, pretty egalitarian you know there were. Communist caters, uh, caters, if you will, and you know, their leaders, the guys who were doing all of this pretension, uh, you know, but in yeah. the meantime, living posh life. But the normal people were all kind of mostly equally, equally poor.
0: poor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: So that was that. Um, let me think what else. And um, I guess uh, also religion was uh, uh, kind of suppressed if you will right so i yeah. grew up with a lot of resistance toward religion as such and uh any uh aspects of that and it actually took me until i was maybe uh 42 or something when i finally started opening up to what the hell is religion what the hell is spirituality and stuff like that so so that was a long time coming and maybe uh finally i'll mention that uh You know, with this whole attempt at uh, centralized planning, which was a failure, but nevertheless, right, uh, uh, the country was trying to be an efficient machine, right? So they were producing lots of engineers and scientists and whatnot, and this kind of education was, uh, um, there was lots of that, right? Versus like artists or any kind of like uh, arts or philosophy, I mean, philosophy, there's communist philosophy, what else do you need, right? So, exactly. uh, so well, yeah, I have I mean, a <laughs> I,
0: yeah,
1: my education was, uh, like in school, uh, there was, uh, uh, more emphasis on, uh, science and, yes. uh, related subjects. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting you mentioned that because it felt like you know in those times and in that country creativity was I mean yeah I mean there was no environment which would flourish creativity and it was yeah. even suppressed and uh, it was not valued so obviously like science and maths and all those uh, type of subjects were way more respected and all the others were just you know not very necessary and and I, I even remember like in those times when when you were choosing a profession and if it was something very artsy they were like oh you're not gonna make money with that and it's it's kind of you know it's it's not serious just forget about it right it's it it wasn't really respected at all so so that that part is uh, important i mean the planning part and the miscalculations and not being able to i mean how, how do you even decide like it, how, how much people are going to eat or, you know, what right. they're going to get and, and, and what kind of
1: clothing like... <laughs> they want to wear,
0: right? Uh, I mean, I, I think what they want uh, was like something that wasn't even considered because who, who cares what they wanted, right? It's it's just... yeah like yeah. it's irrelevant we decide, that we decide for you right we <laughs> exactly like you know why, why even have a choice and have have huh. any desires it's it's there for you um so so going from there uh and and moving forward like uh i know that moving countries uh, uh and especially uh while you are not a child who is just taken with the family making that decision is is pretty Difficult and it entails lots of um, you know different barriers to overcome, lots of transitions, lots of you know modifications in life. Uh, how easy it was for you to to make that big decision in your life?
1: I would actually say it was pretty easy because um, you know I was uh, twenty seven when I left Russia, and um, okay. you know if you will, I spent my Uh, Growing up, I grew up in Soviet Union, but then the Soviet Union fell apart and then we had whatever it was, let's say 10 years of this falling apart and uh, attempts at build something new. And those attempts are now obviously they have failed, but uh, that was a really interesting time because it was a bit of a wild west. The economy that was somewhat working stopped working altogether, you know, there are shortages of everything. But also so many opportunities, and you know so many uh, uh, companies from the West coming to Russia, and us, you know, people growing up, who grew up in the Soviet Union, just looking with uh, wide open eyes at uh, this abundance yeah. of things and uh, whatever. You go to a yeah. supermarket, and it's like, oh my God, you know, how can that be? Like, uh, typically going to a store, you see a few dozen, few dozen items, and now there are thousands. This kind of stuff. So. When all of it happened, and because I was um, kind of well positioned, if you will, like it, it was difficult. No, no, or question about that. And I was at the university, and then uh, became a father very early on. But uh, also, I loved languages. Uh, I learned uh, English uh, early on, and uh, you know, I had a pretty quick mind. And I started computer science. So between all of that, I was able to get a pretty good job at a uh, big. Uh, U.S. company in the uh, Moscow office. And uh, that kind of started me off really well in my career. And then I mm-hmm. fell pretty accidentally into entrepreneurship um, mm-hmm. with, when, uh, com- with a couple of my friends. who We worked together uh, at that company and an opportunity came up. So we started our first business together. And that was a joint venture with our Danish software company. And I ended up going to Denmark uh, quite a bit uh, loved it and uh, all in all you know so between me being exposed to the west uh, uh learning english making a bit of money as uh, we started this business i had this pretty good foundation right so when mm-hmm. um and it was still very uncertain you know there are uncertain times uh, back in russia and uh, yeah. you know russia just defaulted uh, in 98 on you know their Uh, state debt and whatnot. And uh, then Putin came into power. And uh, in some respects, he looked more attractive than Yeltsin. You know, here's a drunkard. Here's a guy who looks strong. But this is a KGB guy. And kind of, you know, that yeah, KGB, uh, you grew up with a, a lot of intrinsic distrust to any kind of you know, government and then KGB is the epitome of that. So there were lots of doubts, but also there was a lot of excitement. Just learning about, like, I grew up, again, like, uh, behind the iron curtain, right? So, like, all of this yeah. stuff stuff happening out in the West, you know, oh, computers and, I don't know, fashion and music and whatnot. It There's just a little trickle of that coming into Russia. So then when I was able to kind of look at that and there was so much excitement and, and as a young adult with some foundation, there was a, a lot of uh, excitement about possibilities out there. And, you know, we looked at uh, different options and then Canada worked well for a bunch of reasons. And then we uh, ended up going there and uh, I'm really happy with that choice. I've been here in Toronto for the last uh, 21 years.
0: Yeah, it's, it's been a while. It's it's. Uh... How do you feel about like, you know, many people, I, I feel like based on your experiences and based on your exposure uh, of, uh, you know, with, with working with different cultures, et cetera, uh, you, you kind of, uh, you, you ended up being cosmopolitan, I presume. So uh, in that sense, like, uh, how do you feel about like, w- do you have this sense of home and and where is it? like is is home Canada is home where you're coming from is home like pretty much everywhere. Like, how do you feel about that? Right.
1: I mean, I did spend the majority of my life now here in Toronto. So it does feel like home. And there are so many things I love about this city starting with it's a very cosmopolitan culture, right? Because Mm -hmm. I'm a big believer that, uh, uh, creativity is uh, closely correlated to diversity, right? And Canada has been in a country which uh, has been welcoming immigrants uh, for a long time, and especially Toronto is a place where lots of immigrants end up, you know, settling. Uh, there are all kinds of people, all kinds of communities, and I, I, I love that about this. I and mean, you know, they coexist, and there is a lot of uh, creativity that uh, emerges from, from that. Uh, on the other hand, you know, I... I don't believe in the concept of uh, patriotism, if you will, because Mm -hmm. for me, mm, patriotism always comes with a tinge of, you know, however nicely you wrap it, but it always comes with a tinge of, oh, you know, our country is so good and those guys, they are not so good, kind of, right?
0: Yeah, comparison, uh, yeah.
1: every, Mm -hmm. Every country you look at. They all had their big fuck ups. I mean, it's hard for me to imagine bigger fuck ups than, say, Russia or Soviet Union had. Maybe China can compete on that. But Canada had its fair share of uh, pretty crazy stuff the way they treated their native population and all kinds of other things, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, in this way, I'm pretty sure that I can be comfortable in many other places in the world, but I'm comfortable here because, you know, my kids are here. Well, except for Vitalik, he's uh, all over the world now. And my parents (laughs) are here, my other relatives, you know, I have a huge community of amazing friends here. So, yeah, it does feel like home. uh, But again, like I also know that uh, I can feel at home at many other places in the world.
0: Oh, sounds good. So you mentioned creativity several times. And, you know, yes. we we started, we started by computer science, uh, you know, scientific uh, subjects, you being, uh, you know, going that route in your education. So um, it's, it's very rare when you meet people who sort of balance both at the same time and kind of, you know, have both sides developed equally. Uh, um, and it feels like you're one of those people who are curious enough to, to, to cover both sides um, as much as you can. So um, h- how did that go? Like h- how, did you start sort of, you know, uh, feeling that gap of creativity after, after you had established your uh, so, so let's say logical side?
1: Yeah. You know, I have to say that uh, it's, um, it's a very interesting process uh, people. Um, so, I think genetically, I was gifted a pretty decent IQ, and people who have uh, higher IQ then you know, they have uh, their analytical part of their brain uh, develops. Uh, and uh, as always the case, as uh, when we have a certain tool and we get used to using that tool, mm-hmm. uh, it's like you know when if you have a hammer, then everything looks like a nail. So yeah. that kind of happens to smart people. I would say predominantly is like we have. Uh, well-designed analytical brain, and it seems to work so well with so many things, and then we just happily applied it to everything. You know, when I was Uh moving over to Canada, we had this uh, nice table, and uh, uh, Excel with like criteria for like, should we go to Canada, Australia, stay in Moscow, (laughs) all kinds of stuff, right? But the thing is like, uh, obviously it's a very general statement, but uh, the flip side of this, like if you look at a human being, we have our analytical brain and then we have our emotional sensitivity. And when our analytical brain is uh, overused, uh, that uh, comes at the expense of us not having the emotional sensitivity. And, you Uh know, it seems to work for quite a while. And, you know, you achieve all kinds of, you know, when you apply the analytical brain, you you can achieve all kinds of success. But the thing is, like, eventually, you also start seeing its limitations, right? And you start bumping your head against... uh, Like, oh, but it worked so well at this project. Why does it work for a relationship? Why doesn't it work so well in a business, right? Um, And for me personally, also, I have a lot of curiosity. That's a very strong energy in me. And always had this curiosity about the world, about different aspects of the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, when I became an entrepreneur, it was a very interesting path of uh, learning about the world through that lens. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, so here's a business. And I, I was not originally in a technical leadership position, a CTO and co-founder of the business. So my concern was like, let's build this piece of software and whatnot. But then we, very quickly it became obvious like, okay, I can build this wonderful piece of software. But if people don't buy it, then yeah. nothing happens. Okay, so why do people buy stuff? Like logically they should, but people are not logical beings. That becomes very clear yeah. as soon as you kind of... Uh, dive into sales and marketing, right? And also in uh, entrepreneurship and leadership, you quickly see that business, on the one hand, you can look at this as an engine, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. With processes and systems and whatnot, but also it's an engine where there are so many, which consists of individuals, right? And each individual is a unique, infinite uh, aspect of this universe. And uh, if you try to build an efficient process that doesn't care about an individual, eventually you uh, engine mm-hmm. your will fail spectacularly, And this is kind of what we see in the society right yeah. now, I think. And uh, so for me, that was also a big part of my entrepreneurial learning that I, I was realizing like, oh, okay, so for the business to work, it's not just about efficient you know, playing and building software and all of this stuff, but it's also about sales and marketing. And that's about psychology. And uh, leading people, interacting with people, aligning people, it's all about psychology. And what is psychology? What are humans, right? So that kind of where my journey started, really learning about other aspects of, if you will, this universe, uh, and then eventually yeah. you know, about psychology and personal development stuff. And you know, Tony Robbins was also one of their big influences mm-hmm. in, uh, uh, early on for me, and then learning about all kinds of stuff, and then spirituality, and then kind of... Everything kind of blew up for me, and it all merged into one unnabable, unknowable thing.
0: I think it's, it's, it's great you mentioned this because, um, you know, uh, I know many CTOs who are very happy at just being in their own kind of, you know, scope and, and, and dealing with the tech side of things and are very comfortable and happy not be needing to interact with anything else outside that comfort zone, right? So <laughs> it's, scary, it's,
1: right? <laughs> it's a predictable, you know, you code and, you know, it's difficult, it's challenging, but you can still figure it out. Humans are totally unpredictable and that's so beautiful and that's so difficult and to deal I with. And humans, they have emotions and they have desires, attachments, all kinds of cool stuff.
0: Yeah it is and and I think it's it's very interesting like how do you I I feel like we still lack uh, sufficient and and very optimized and and working bridges between this you know extreme of the tech and and the emotional side of the people because you know I I know many projects that are building amazing things but just because they can't say tell the story and can't translate it in human language so who yes. they build it for can understand what it is about uh, there is mm-hmm. this big bridge and big gap so they and plus because they are you know as you said with high iQs very smart very technical people when they build things for them it's it makes complete common sense and it's very easy to use and it's it's you know they build it for themselves it's great but you know when we try it, when we try it, it it's such a steep learning curve. So I still mm-hmm. feel like, do you feel like there is this, you know, it's still lacking, I don't know, group of people or processes in place, which would translate and, and become this bridge between these two, like, you know, technology and and the masses to just bridge them and for mass adoption and for making things easier, UX, UI. Um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like there is this problem there somewhere. Right.
1: I mean, it- if uh, I see you asking about crypto industry, that's definitely the case, right? Because if you look at other industries, like look at the success of Apple, it's really success mm. of uh, you know user experience focus. That's uh, the huge driver of uh, of uh, yeah. Apple's success, right? So in the crypto industry. Uh, I think that this is now the time for people to really pay attention to uh, user interfaces, right? And when I look at the interfaces of uh, systems we currently have, it's way better than what we had a few years ago, but it's still, for a normal person, they look at this and they easily get overwhelmed, right? So I think that there is still so much more, like, you know, 10, 100 times more we can achieve by, uh, uh, by, you know, by... um, paying much more attention to the human side of things. Again, user experience and the human limitations and desires and motivations and, and whatnot.
0: Yeah. Okay, since we sort of segued into crypto somehow, um, mm-hmm. I, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, your son, in a sense that, you know, you mentioned that you became father at a quite young age. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I, I'm very curious about you know, obviously, uh, your son is uh, someone who's been so ahead of of his times, and and sort of, you know, he's he's a visionary who saw things and uh, who came up with all these concepts. Uh, when he was growing up, did did you um, did you feel like you know he had all these special talents, and and you know, how did you approach that? Like, did, when did you discover it, and 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 how did you feel about it? How did you approach it as a parent?
1: I mean, it was pretty clear very early on that he has a very uh, quick, uh, wonderful intellect. And mm-hmm. uh, and it was a lot of fun to engage with him and give him fuel for the explorations of his brain, you know, from uh, teaching him math and, you know, and reading and giving him our old uh, IBM PC and so that he would st- start just randomly playing with that. Uh, so it was a uh, very fertile ground, uh, and uh, like for me, it was also a lot of fun because uh, as you know for for a parent it's like we kind of want to the things that we could not get for ourselves the toys we for some reason didn't have access to or, you know we didn't play with we kind of want to that to happen uh, for our kids so it's trying to get him Lego and you know computers and stuff like that uh so and uh, and human mind is, uh, it loves to learn, right? And uh, unfortunately, mm-hmm. the way we have been perverting that through modern education system, it's uh, it's become mostly very rigid and, you know, very focused on testing and whatnot. But human mind, really learning and playing is the same thing, right? So, uh, like, even by three years old, it was clear that Vitalik's mind was uh, really... Um, ahead of uh, kids his age, far ahead of, and, you know, and it was a lot of fun to interact with him and go through this. And it was also not very easy because uh, when uh, you have a young growing human being with, uh, uh, if you will, a uh, certain aspect of the being so overdeveloped comparatively, right? So then other uh-huh. aspects of, like, uh, for him to be social or even, like, verbal communication, that was... Uh, not always easy because like again like uh his uh his human being was trying to integrate so much stuff with uh such a rapid mm-hmm. speed right so it was a lot of fun and it was interesting to watch like i remember when he was six and uh and we were buying him legos and whatnot and uh, he would not build towers from legos and whatnot he would build digits actually right and actually he mm-hmm. would uh if you will, uh, animate those digits, like, you know, that, all uh, of oh, this, uh, five, that that's a move and whatever. Right. So kind of his mind was processing all of this stuff. And as he was learning about math, which kind of became, uh, if you will love his, and, uh, uh then he was also interacting with that and all other ways that he could see from building the leg Legos and, you know, using the Microsoft Excel to play with stuff and whatnot. So, yeah.
0: It's interesting. Uh, you mentioned this. I mean, we started from the very beginning talking about the Soviet culture and the fact that, you know, parents were had this huge power of, of you know, decision making. And they were very often they were making the decisions about their kids futures in terms of which universities to choose, which, you know, direction to take in life, etc. Uh, so, um did you have any, like, did you put any pressure in his decision? I mean, choices or like, how, how was this interaction? How was your? How much was your role in his um, choosing his paths in, in life? Because, I mean, you're, you're yeah, also sure. in it's, that theory, it's right? Question
1: because also when people ask that and then like, and say, let's say, oh, this parent made this impact on their child for sure, right? But then like, who made the impact on the parent, right? their environment and their parents so it's a kind of never-ending chain of things right and so for Vitalik it was like so his father is into computer science his mom is in computer science that's where we met in the university we studied together uh uh, his mom's parents his uh, grandfather what a very smart i mean he still is alive as a wonderful smart person who was spending so much time with him and feeding him all of this stuff it was all there right and it was all making impact
0: Okay, that's uh, yeah. I mean, it, obviously, he had the the environment which which flourished things even even further. So uh, that's great. And yeah, and I'm, sorry.
1: And back to your question, like I, I didn't quite fully answer that. In terms of uh, pressure or whatever, uh, by nature, I'm if you will, I have very libertarian views, right? So I okay. don't respond respond well to when I perceive being pressured and and that's also when i interact with uh, any human i i don't pressure them including my children right so very early on with vitalik it was really mostly a dialogue like we talk about stuff and uh, my job is to try to convince him or oh, you know here's my perspective and if it's uh-huh. making sense and then he's smart then he's got his perspective uh so there wasn't I hope, you know, I hope uh, Vitalik <laughs> might have a different recollection, but there was not that <laughs> much pressing, right? So, like, I was trying to get him interested in things that I would assume would be interesting for such a smart, curious mind, like, which were interesting to me, computers and programming and stuff like that, and, and in some ways it did, in some ways it didn't quite, uh, for example, I, as a child, I was quite interested in, if you will, in hacking, right? But um, hacking is quite misunderstood, but uh, by whatever in mass media doing something bad. But hacking is really all about curiosity. If you have a Mm -hmm. complex system and the system is designed to do this, hacking is like, how can we figure out a way for the system to achieve a different result, right? And the more complex is the system, the more. Possibilities for you to do something else with the system. So uh-huh. I was uh, giving Vitalik some books about hacking and stuff like that, and uh, for example, uh, gave him some books uh, by Kevin Mitnick, if you remember that famous uh, hacker. And it was really funny to kind of see last year that Kevin Mitnick retweeted a tweet by Vitalik about some stuff. <laughs> um, uh, and then also from those books about hacking and you know reading that two six zero zero Hacker magazine. Vitalik didn't quite, you know, taken into this particular area, but cryptography aspect of this based on math, that really fascinated him, right? So kinda mm-hmm. I was feeding the stuff that I assumed would be of interest to him, but then his mind was picking and choosing what was making sense to him, right? So it was his own decision like uh, then, even with let's say high school, he was in the public school system uh, until the end of their middle school, But then it Uh was becoming pretty obvious that their public school system was not really giving him enough uh, ground Uh for his uh, further growth. So we started looking at private school systems and uh, we looked at a bunch of different options and one of them was really fancy. It was called uh, uh, University of Toronto School of something like that. And they did not admit him. I'm like, oh my God, you know, this guy is obviously (laughs) so smart and he was by that time already is like, had so many (laughs) achievements and like, you know, program Olympiad and math, but for some reason that school didn't like him. Okay, you're lost, guys. Uh, But, you know, and we looked at bigger private schools, smaller private schools, and then Vitalik, it was his call. He said, okay, I like this pretty small Uh private school he went to, high school, and that school was uh, very small. It has only like maybe 40 pupils altogether.
0: Uh And
1: and he really thrived there. You know, it was a good choice uh, for him because uh, he was able to connect with so many uh, teachers there and, you know, get the individual attention and also uh, socially uh, open up so much because it's a much smaller, whatever the reasons, much smaller environment or whatnot. But uh, so then he, it was his own decision to, which made a lot of sense going to uh, Waterloo, which is one of their university of Waterloo is one of their top schools uh, in North America for computer science. Right. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of what he selected and that made a lot of sense to us.
0: Okay. Makes sense. No, I mean, it's, uh, I think like one of the biggest sort of, you know, the happiest moments. And I think the, the biggest thing that any parent would like to see is to see their kids, um, over, perform like you know become better than they are at the moment like you know if, if their their kids are a better version of, of their parents the parents should be super happy in that sense because <laughs> <laughs> because i mean it, it feels like i mean uh, i understand that you know obviously uh you know um you didn't have pressure on him but uh it's it's, it's obvious that you know that there was an, a, an environment and there was like you know this um this uh, uh value system i don't know uh, a personal example that you gave uh, him as parents uh, and as a family etc all that obviously you know could could make or break uh, you know his his talent uh, obviously so yeah I, I and, have, and you know yeah. for,
1: for kids it's uh really important to realize that uh, whatever we tell our children to do they will listen to that and whatever but end of the day what will affect them as uh, the implicit learning that happens when <clears throat> we interact with them? They observe our interactions with the world, and they they kind of take that into themselves. Like how do we react? You know, and it's, uh, it's really about emotional processing mostly, really. Uh, so yeah. I think that uh, the kind of impact like parents have obviously huge impact on their children. But it's uh, most people I think misunderstand that they impact, and they think that it's uh, they have to. Uh, direct their children to do this and you know like like yeah, uh, no, but it's very no, no. if you will it's very ego-based right because we have a certain illusion of oh this is me and these are my flows and this are kind of some of my desires and then we have then the desire or oh, but through my children let me try to kind of maybe correct those flows and you know realize those and realize desires and stuff like that and it's oh, pretty ridiculous absolutely
0: Absolutely, yeah. like you know, some dreams that you had and you couldn't achieve them, you you right. just you know want your kid to achieve, but those are, are your dreams, not theirs, so it's, yeah. it's it's not always working. So when you know if there is a mismatch, it's it's, it's just gonna put people, children in a very un, unhappy situation because they will be under. Uh, unnatural pressure and will be pursuing something they are not even interested in just because yeah we didn't achieve something we wanted so yeah no i totally get that and it's it, it's it's so true actually um i mean how does it feel? It's it's very interesting. I mean, I'm sure that you know, no matter who who talks to you, like the the always the topic goes to Vitalik eventually. But I also know that Vitalik is not your only child. So you you have three children, uh, and um, and I'm absolutely sure as a parent that you know um, there is no like you know a difference between the three in 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 terms of you know how much you you love them, obviously. Um, so how, how does it feel? What, what is kind of you know this dynamic? How, how do you feel in, in general about this whole fact that uh, you're probably known more as the father of uh, Vitalik or uh, the grandfather of Ethereum uh, rather than loads of personal achievements that, uh, that you had as well? Because it feels like it's, it's shadowing up the rest a little bit.
1: You know, it's uh, very interesting to think about the term personal achievement, right? Because people are really, uh, like for many people, it's a big deal to kind of think about their personal achievements. But when you really look deeper into that, it's uh, the illusion of anything being personal dissolves quite quickly. It's like, okay, so you achieved this, like, okay, how come you had the foundation to achieve this, right? Like, Uh, Did you create your own intellect? Like, uh, did you create your genes for this? Like, you know, did you create their, let's say, the economic environment, their social environment? Like, no. So all of your personal achievements, they're uh, really totally impersonal, if you will, right? And uh, in my Uh life, I spent a long time, if you will, pursuing personal development. And when I talk to people about this, you know, where I'm at... I would say that now I'm in a stage of uh, impersonal development because the personal development doesn't make a lot of sense to me anymore, even though it was a wonderful, important stage. And if you look at my Twitter bio, right, like you look at people Twitter bios, it's uh, quite often like, oh, you know, like uh, it, and my bio used to say like serial tech entrepreneur, blah, 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 blah. Uh-huh. And uh, now it says, uh, I think, you know, a philosopher, a curious consciousness and a soap bubble lover, right? and yeah. uh, because kind of you have to when you start looking deeply at yourself you discover so much more about yourself and the world mm-hmm. right and you know yeah. for a long time i think until the middle age typically people define themselves through those personal achievements so you know i have achieved this i've done this but uh, there is one awesome guy who i love philip mccurran who uh runs this uh, retreats and uh, things and you know one of his uh I remember when I was one of his events and uh, he put up some questions which were really, uh, really nicely formulated. It's like, okay, who are you without your children, without your parents, without your job, you know, without other uh-huh. things, right? So looking kind of very deeply into who you are. So for me, I have all kinds of people I interact with. And some people, they actually have no, very little idea about Ethereum and Vitalik and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, some people who learn about me through that channel, then they talk to me from that perspective. And yeah, this is uh, uh, this is fun to observe all these different ways that kind of, um, when we interact <laughs> with the human, we don't really interact with the real human, but, you know, we live in our own universe. Then we create this avatar, our vision of who is this other human is. And then we interact with the vision of that human and it's... Uh, it's pretty astonishing that any kind of communication is happening at all as when you think how much loss of information is there from kind of what you feel to what you kind of notice that you feel, what you're trying to express. Yeah. And you express it to like your avatar of another human being and then the process repeats. <laughs> it's, it's mind-blowing.
0: So, so you mentioned like it, it's interesting that you mentioned that you know th- that personal not being too personal and sort of you know us uh shielding ourselves with all these titles and achievements and everything else to to look probably way more important than we than we really are uh do you yeah. think it's because uh do you think it's because we are sort of uh we are afraid to actually face our our real selves and look deeper inside uh, uh, because we don't know what we will see eventually? Or like what is keeping people from, from going through those experiences?
1: Well, until you start looking at the most important question, and for me, it's pretty clear that the most important question for any human being in this talk to ask themselves is what am I? And what is consciousness? Stuff like that, right? and mm-hmm. uh and i don't know for most people it will not not make make a lot of sense but i hope for some people it will that the whole concept of when the con- consciousness consciousness emerges in this if you will quantum soup of existence it emerges at, on um at the same time it kind of has to emerge with the assumption that oh i exist and i know something i know what's good and bad so the default characteristic of uh human mind is knowing the human mind always wants to know it wants to know Uh what is good what is bad and so on and uh uh, the structure of your ego then is really like trying to define okay i know i exist and who is me what is me and it constantly looks outward for the things to define itself until it starts looking uh, inside and I totally lost my track of thoughts, but I hope that I answered <laughs> your question to a degree. <laughs>
0: it's OK. It's OK. Let's 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 just, you know, you also mentioned Twitter and and that's actually yes. where I discovered you. And, and probably because I, I follow all these uh, crypto related people. So somehow, somewhere. I guess you know it, I came across your profile, um, so it's um, it's it, it's interesting how you treat Twitter in a sense that you know it's it's very um, sort of um, it's very natural and it, it feels like you you don't really I mean you you're, you're just being yourself and you're having fun and you don't really care how it's perceived by others. That that was the impression that I was getting by by looking at your feed and at, at mm-hmm. Twitter, etc. That's kind of the 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 impression that you're living there at least for me so uh do do you i mean many people have so many different reasons for being on on social media and uh many of them have their own reasons actually so um no actually all of the reasons are right
1: i i disagree with you there (laughs) really (laughs) different reasons they seem to be wrong for you Right. Yeah. But they're they totally right for that particular person.
0: True. True. Yeah. <laughs> wrong. Wrong for me. So uh, so what, what are your reasons? Like, you know, h- how do you treat this? Like, is, is this a place where you just relax, bounce around uh, some few ideas or meet people? Like, w- what do you use it for?
1: <laughs> you know, that goes back to. Uh, your question about personal achievements and all of this stuff, you know, why do we do anything? And this is like, if you answer that question very deeply, if you investigate it, then you really find the answer to everything, right? Um, And our human mind, our ego, is kind of likes to come up with very complex stories. So I'm doing this to achieve this goal and blah, 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 you know, and the rational mind has all these stories about why it's doing things. But end of the day, we're not driven by the rational mind. Like, you know, I'm firmly convinced that the rational mind is just a PR agent. It can observe this is what's happening. And let me now mm-hmm. create a nice story why this happened. And if the reality doesn't match my story, which happens all the time, then I have to quickly on the fly, just my story, and I can blame other people for being bad <laughs> or myself, for being, you know, guilty or whatever, or, you know, feeling guilt and shame and stuff like that. Um, but very short sure answer to your question is like, it's just fun. And uh, I used to be m- more on Facebook, if you will, and whatnot. But it's been a year <laughs> that somehow uh, the universe uh, gravitated me toward Twitter. And and mm-hmm. I love it because it's very open, right? And, you know, I can participate in all kinds of conversations. And then they end up being about crypto or philosophy or love or somebody tells me that I'm a fucking scammer and I should fuck off. like, <laughs> And this is a wonderful in personal development training like oh wow this human being for some reason thinks that like <laughs> interesting Let, let's see what kind of emotions we can experience here and enjoy and you know struggle with
0: yeah it's uh it's interesting uh actually twitter has this uh, interesting dynamics of uh i don't know it feels more unfiltered than facebook somehow yeah it feels yeah for raw. sure raw yeah, it feels raw, and it, it's you know probably uh, more people are are not so uh, open there in terms of who they are actually. So most of them are sort of. Uh, Hidden be behind some avatars or or you know nicknames or whatever, which probably makes it easier for them to be more honest and more off- open and mm. express themselves easier right. that way. Probably, I don't know. It's it's just my theory. Uh, and by yeah. by doing that, you get a a a more realistic picture of. What this people uh, person thinks, or what this person is about, so which is why you get so many diverse reactions to to anything you put out there, <laughs> because all these people are, mm-hmm. are very very different accordingly. So it's very interesting. Let let's touch a little bit about the blog gigs. Um, I know that it's a, a very nice platform for to to learn more about the space. And, you know, we already touched a little bit that this space is not very uh, easy to grasp for the newcomers uh, and not very easy to understand in simple terms and uh, and everything else. So uh, t- tell me a little bit, like, why did you decide to found block gigs and and. You know what's the mm-hmm. main purpose behind it
1: yeah i mean the original idea is not mine so it was it came from uh, my friend here in toronto amir Rosik. so uh, uh we were talking and he had this idea and the original concept was uh uh so we started the business like maybe four years ago and uh, mm-hmm. it was uh even back then it was, we were firm believers that blockchain is really a foundation of uh, so many uh, fundamental shifts in, uh, in uh, mm-hmm. how the society is going to be structured. And uh, his concept was, you know, let's create this uh, uh, website, geeks so we can help uh, more people get educated as developers on the platform. So mm-hmm. that's kind of what we've been trying to do for the last few years. And that frankly didn't work that well for a whole bunch of reasons as always. Uh, um, You know, from limitations of the original idea to some of our limitations and execution to the realities of the crypto market. And Uh uh, uh, last fall, we have uh, restructured the business a bit. And uh, now we're looking at a broader perspective, not just uh, trying to educate developers, but educate, you know, professionals and all kinds of uh, enterprises and whatnot traders, investors, and whatnot. And actually, uh, just now, we launched our first uh, investment course um, uh-huh. in the next uh, little while. And uh, and I'm only, if you will, lightly involved in the business. Uh, originally, uh-huh. for a long time, I was just an uh, uh, investor and mentor and whatnot. And I got a bit more involved during the restructuring that happened last fall. But I'm still uh-huh. very lightly involved. It's run by... Uh, now by another person, his name is uh, Andrew. And uh, I'm kind of mentoring Andrew and helping him with a bunch of things. And uh, as we're kind of going through this restructuring. um, So yeah, because at this time, if you will, throughout my career, I spent a lot of time learning about how to structure businesses operationally and processes and systems and stuff like that. But then eventually I realized that uh, what is most important is uh, Uh, much deeper foundation. What is the purpose of the business? Like what are its core values? Like how this business Mm -hmm. is making the world better and not just the world out there, but also how does it impact people working in the business and stuff like that? So really, this is my passion as to, and I do a fair bit of other kind of mentoring, coaching for other people who kind of enter my path. And uh, that gives me a lot of joy to kind of help them start thinking about deeper aspects of what they're doing. Because uh, if we don't look at those deeper foundations of uh, deeper motivations uh, of ourselves, then we are bound to face a lot of hurdles until we finally kind of face them, clear them up and so on.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, it reminds me of Simon Sinek's why speech. Right, uh, yeah. and, And I think it's very important because in business usually, uh, it's not a straightforward and and very like smooth path right you you you're going to uh, have different situations where you have to make different decisions and it's it's not going to be as planned so that's why yeah. i think it's going to be the the thing that is going to help you decide whether you turn right or left or you know go back or whatever because you will have like one thing that is you know you, you know about and 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 is going to guide you on on the long term and and on a higher level, I guess. And, and
1: let me comment on that too, because kind of it made me think about some of the stuff we talked about. Uh, and um, when we were talking about Vitalik and you know role of parents and Vitalik's role in Ethereum, human mind because it's uh, finite, it's trying to simplify things. It's trying to you know put things uh, in a you know define things to make them understandable. It's like Oh, so Vitalik created Ethereum and, you know, Vitalik's (laughs) parent created, you know, Vitalik and stuff like that. And this is (laughs) uh, a nice story, which is also total bullshit, right? Because Vitalik created Ethereum. Well, Vitalik and, you know, 1,000 other people created Ethereum, right? Wonderful, amazing people and all kinds of messed up people and, you know, crazy people, creative people. Hurt uh, people. Uh-huh. So many people are involved in that, and they have been co-creating. And obviously, he is still a very important aspect of this. And then, like, what created Vitalik? Well, his parents and his environment, his genetics, and like all kinds of craziness, and Canada, and Soviet Union, and like, uh, and math and science and cryptography. So, and the idea of Ethereum, you know, Vitalik had that based on his work he was doing for Bitcoin Magazine, right? So. Only thanks to Bitcoin, then, you know, the idea of Ethereum was created. And if it wasn't Vitalik, then other people, you know, would have created that. It just happened to be that. And kind of in retrospect, we can, oh, Vitalik created Ethereum. Well, he was one particular attempt, if you will, that succeeded, right? Um, Uh And um, if you look also at, uh, you know, the state of the crypto world right now, I, I originally was a very... Uh, technical guy, right? So computer science and all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now my mind likes to think about much more abstract things on the one hand and much more humane things. So, you know, yeah. how humans works and stuff like that. So when I look at uh, crypto projects nowadays, I'm way too lazy to look at details and the code and product and stuff like that. That no longer excites my curiosity. And, you know, it's wonderful. And then I kind of follow people who I trust that they can do this kind of stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. But for me, it's much more important to observe how do those humans behave as humans, right? And yeah. what, what kind of emotions and motivations are in those humans? And for me, when I look at uh, uh, success or not success of a particular project, it's very much determined by, like, you know, there's so much initial energy coming from the founder and then the community that forms around that. And this is defined the success of the project. Just as much and actually much more than the actual technical aspects of this, you know, I look at some of their uh projects out there and they have some wonderful technical underpinnings, yeah, and nothing's really happening there because of the human limitations. I look at some other projects that technically don't mean you know they're basically there's zero innovation creativity, but for some reason, you know uh they capture yeah. the Im- imagination of their public and the uh, and they're moving forward. And this is fascinating for for, for us to observe because, like, yeah. and again, we can never say that, oh, this is the right way, this is the wrong way. End of the day, no. we have to observe and, like, see, oh, okay, this is happening, and this is happening, and that is happening. And this is, uh, uh, this is their mindset is that uh, whenever we say that things should be or should not be this way, uh, we're really just being very short-sighted because if things are a certain way, then there are some deep reasons for that. So if there are things exist, uh, like, and we say, oh, but they should not be this way. This is bad. It's like, okay, the universe doesn't care about our judgments, right? Like they exist and they're there. So let's kind of see what is happening there. Let's observe that very closely uh, and then kind of see how that plays out.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, especially in in this space, in in the crypto space, and uh, you know, among those projects, uh, communities are the ones who make or break the projects. And you know, the 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 power of the community is is very strong, and uh, it's it's. Uh, um, you can't really just take them out of the equation like you can be focused on the tech, but you know, you, you have to pay attention to the community, you have to take care of them, nurture them, create relationship with them, because it's 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 probably even more important, as you said, than, than the tech, because the tech can be fixed. It can be, you know, developed further. It can be made better with the time. Uh, but uh, but if you um, hurt your community at one point, uh, you know that that huge support and love will immediately turn into hate, and and then it, it will be very hard to recuperate. Um, and
1: uh, you know, my, uh, you know, people who are exposed to Ethereum probably saw that. Uh, uh write up from Vitalik, which he did end of the year 2020, kind of his closing notes for 2020. And uh it was a wonderful write up with a lot of uh kind of very uh, high-level, uh really interesting musings and things. But one aspect that a number of people noticed and for me kind of noticed that right away, like he mentioned that a project has to have a soul, right? And to hear that from Vitalik was uh, really amazing because uh you know, he. I know that he has brilliant technical mind and if you will, philosophical mind as well. And kind of like, so that he's becoming more and more comfortable with uh, using very soft, but extremely important terms that really talk to some uh, crucial aspects of, uh, you know, their reality, right? And what does it mean for a project to have a soul? Like, can you define it? You cannot, right? But then you can look at this and you can say, yeah, like, Let's say EOS yeah, project was, yeah, you can feel it, right? I you mean, know, yeah, like you can't define the,
0: it, but you can. The feel Telegram it, yeah.
1: tried to create their own blockchain and, yeah, raised lots of money, and very smart people, and then nothing happened, right? So, okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think it, it was a very beautiful conversation. I, I think it's, you know, the things you mentioned about all these different aspects coming together and not having one defining element about a certain things and having all these different small things that happen in life that get together and somehow lead you to something uh, uh, in life, which is very unexpected. I think it's beautiful. I think that's what makes life uh, interesting. and, And sort of this unpredictability is what makes us wake up every day and without knowing what's going to happen and, and being exciting about it. Uh, um, and, uh, and I just wish that all these small things lead you to, to, to even uh, newer and more discoveries, because I know you've tapped quite deep already in your cautions list and your curiosity <laughs> leads you to many, many places. But, <laughs> but I'm also sure that there are so many other places that you still have uh, you know, to go and, and, and can still have fun. So um, yeah, I mean, I would like to wish you loads of new experiences. Uh, I would love to stay in touch uh, and I hope that the viewers enjoyed a nice conversation
1: thank you and it was really awesome to talk to you yeah and uh, we touched on a bunch of different things and the universe is infinite right so we explored we touched the surface on some things and uh, i'm always happy to talk about all kinds of weird stuff And um, you know and it's so interesting to to see that you know when uh on twitter people dm me and uh, quite often they ask uh, some really interesting questions sometimes it's really like about oh you know uh, would I be interested in, in being involved in some kind of project or mentoring or blah blah blah? And sometimes they're really about some there are some deep questions about what is universe, you know, what is consciousness and what are magic mushrooms are for and stuff like that. So it's cool.
0: And that's why you're on Twitter. I know that.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean that's that was the plan for the universe for me, apparently. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, well, have a nice day. It was awesome talking to you. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Ani. Take care. Bye. This was the Crypto Talks Podcast brought to you by Ani Alexander. If you'd like to engage with other crypto enthusiasts and podcast guests, please join the Crypto Talks community on Telegram at anniealexander.com backwards slash Telegram. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review. Thank you for listening and we'll meet you in the next episode.